It came from New Jersey Podcast, episode six. Um, last week, we talked about um, something that came out in 2017, Scissors Control. Today, we're going 20 years back in time and focusing on Yilda Tango's I Can Hear the Heart Beating as One. Um, I'm your host, Pete. And I'm Bob. And Pete, you got right to it on your intro. I love yeah. it. Jumping right in, you know, give the people what they want. They want to hear about the music. Got to give them what they need. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this was my pick. Um, we had kind of been circling around this one for a little while. Um, I know that you had expressed interest in talking about it at different points, maybe not even this album specifically, but just Yola Tango in general, because, you know, I think they're definitely one of, you know, the pride and joy of New Jersey in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to indie music, you know, I mean, they're one of the one of the bands you can't really ignore if you're talking about New Jersey music. Yeah. I think they're one of the bands you can't ignore when you talk about indie rock in general, like for sure. It's um, I, I am excited to talk about them uh, not just because they're from New Jersey, but because I think, you know, a bit more about them than I do. I've done, I've done my homework, but I'm excited to listen and ask some questions and uh, yeah, throw out some, some wild pitches at you. So. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, um, just so, you know, we kind of set the, set the or groundwork right now. Um, I guess, why were you interested in uh, listening to this album or Yola Tango in general? And I guess like, what's your experience historically with them? If, if any. Okay. I was interested in talking about them because my experience with Yola Tango is they were the, uh, they were a staple of New Jersey college rock radio, which is WFMU and WSOU. Mm-hmm. Um, they were essentially synonymous with indie rock in the nineties. And I think that's kind of the heyday for it. Um, and I didn't know a ton about them because to be honest, the time frame where I was exposed to the most was a time frame where I was not, particularly interested in them and kind of didn't write them off, but didn't tune into it in any sort of valuable way. That said, I knew they were a really relevant band, a band who played a large history, a large part in the history of, you know, music post 1980 from this area. And I was like, but what are they about? This is such a, weird band and how big were they and how, so there was a lot of room and what I've always wanted was for someone to give me an entry point because I've kind of dipped and dabbled and, you know, uh, the record prior to this that I was most familiar with was fake book, mm-hmm. which is kind of more acoustic and there's a bunch of covers and I like it. I, I really do. But whenever I would drop in and kind of check out some of their other material, it was like, it was like a fuzzy sweater, okay? Yeah. It kept me warm. It did its job. But I always, I, I rarely ever felt like wearing it or putting it on. Um, and so I never totally saw the appeal, despite the fact that I saw plenty of other people wearing fuzzy sweaters. Uh, that said, you gave me a great place to say, hey, let me go full on in and invest and listen on this record. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I had a similar experience when, uh, 
you know, when all this stuff was going down, this record came out in 97. I think they, they probably hit their peak, you know, around that time. This may have been their peak um, for a lot of people. Um, What's your intro to them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, for me, it didn't come till years later. I mean, because like, like you were saying, you know, at the time, 97, I was, first of all, I was really young, but second of all, I was, I was, I was involved with, uh, punk and hardcore primarily loud, fast rules. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely where I was headed, what I was interested in. Um, this was something I got into more in high school, but I really didn't dive deep into Yola Tango until like I was in college. But even then, like they were one of those bands that they were unavoidable. I mean, I don't think a single person has gone through college and like not heard of Yola Tango or like Bell and Sebastian. I mean, like at least when I was coming up, those were like the records that you just heard or bands you heard of, or even if you weren't interested, you knew who they were, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. So I never went like, you know, I never went super deep with Yola Tango, honestly, because they had so much going on and it felt so deep. Um, I was really never up for the challenge. So frankly, <laughs> right. Like I've, I like them and I, I definitely have a few of the records. I'm a fan. Um, I've seen them. They're fucking fantastic live, but like there are probably 14 Yola Tango albums. I've never heard, you know? Yeah. Um, I've just never, I've never gone the distance with them. So this is one that I heard. I think this is one that if you've heard Yola Tango at all, you've probably heard this one. Um, maybe um and then the, and then nothing turned itself inside out is the other one that you may have heard right um there are yeah, a few for other- me i'm trying to find the yola tango like the record i because a significant other had it was painful um, yeah yeah and maybe and i rem- you know how i know and then nothing turned itself inside out and this is a phenomenon that i i've discussed with a, another mutual uh, a friend of mine uh, Patrick, who does another podcast with me, there was a record store in New York City, Generation Records. And as like many record stores across America, they had a CD listening booth. What that meant were there were new releases or whatever um, in a place where you could, with headphones, and you could listen to the records at the record store. And I felt like this one was lodged in there for about eight months. So I remember giving it the cursory listen as much as you can when you stand in a record store and listen to something. Just remember listening to it standing there at age 18 and being like, "Who, who's going home and listening to this? Um, <laughs> now, years later, I, I, I get it now. I, I realize I was, you know, perhaps looking for something a little more uh, aggressive, we'll say. And, uh, but yeah, no, it, it didn't pull me in. And I don't think I had heard this record at least in any sort of sort of like substantive way until we listened for, for this episode. Yeah. And it's a, it's a lot. So it's a lot. Just so to, let's get in. Yeah. Yeah. So just to give the quick rundown. So it's released April 22nd, 1997. This is their eighth album. Um, <sighs> so Yola Tango had been a band since 1984, which is wild. Right. Before, um, before the research for this episode, did you put that together? Because I certainly did not. I was oh, thinking yeah. 90, 91, 92, maybe, you know? Yeah, I knew that they had been a band for a while, but 
I I definitely didn't know that they went that far back because that, I mean, that's something that kind of blew my mind. I mean, you know, you, you think about indie, you think about pavement, you think about like, Mm -hmm. you know, the stuff in the nineties that really kind of put it on the map. Like Yola Tango way predated all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. 1984 puts them into like weird New York music. Like, okay, they're post Sonic youth, but not that much. And, um, you know, like, yeah, if you had told me 1989, I'd be like, oh, that's earlier than I thought. 1984 left my jaw like, wait, what? Um, Wild. Changed the context to me. And, and, you know, again, well, we'll get there later. Yeah. So, I mean, apparently, um, Ira Kaplan and Georgia Hubley, who are, you know, the singer, guitar player and drummer, um, vocalist sometimes, yeah. Um, they're married. They've been a couple for a long time. Apparently they met in 1980 at a Feely show um, in New Jersey. So the Feelys are classic New Jersey indie band. I would actually love to cover one of their albums. At I think that's in the uh, coming. Yeah, that's in the coming. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that to me was like, it was so, I didn't know that. It was so fitting. I was just like, oh, of course. Like they met at a Feely show and like then they become Yola Tango. It's fucking perfect. And then, you know, nearly 40 years later, here they are still putting music out. It's amazing. Yeah. It's Th- that part of the story is pretty amazing. It's crazy. So um, it's their eighth album. Comes out on Matador Records. Um, still, you know, like one of the prime, you know, indie record labels, I think, out there at this point. Um, it has 16 songs. It was recorded in Nashville, Tennessee, which I thought was interesting. I just figured that they, I think at this point they probably record most of their stuff in New Jersey, although don't quote me on that. Um, but I thought it was interesting that they recorded this kind of, you know, not in their own studio or somewhere that they were like intensely familiar with. And I would like to add a caveat. It's like recorded in Nashville, Tennessee with not even so much as a touch of twang anywhere. Yeah, nowhere to be found on this record. Yeah, good call. (laughs) Um, The album is one hour and eight minutes long, which I think is something that uh, we'll we'll touch on later. Yeah. But I think, I mean, you know, the thing about this album, it um, it really was, I think, the album that brought this band to another level. You know, from where they were previously, I think. I don't know. I wasn't there at the time, but just based on what, you know, what I, what I saw and what I read about, it seems like, you know, they were, you know, kind of a, uh, recognized up and coming indie, you know, rock and roll band in the New York, New Jersey area. They had toured substantially around the country and, you know, probably in Europe before that. Um, so, you know, they were definitely a band that people were aware of and interested in, in certain circles, but I think that this, this was one that brought them to the next level. You know, I mean, they had one of the singles on the record was called sugar cube. Um, yep. and if you watch that video, which I highly recommend, cause it's, it's a great video. It has most of the cast of Mr. Show, which, yeah, was, it does. which, which was a big, uh, comedy show on HBO at the time. Featuring David Cross, um, who you might know if you're into, you know, kind of alt comedy or Bob Odenkirk, who you might know if you're familiar with Better Call Saul or Breaking, Breaking Bad. Bad. Yeah. Um, so a little show called Breaking Bad. Yeah, a little show called Breaking Bad <laughs> yeah. started uh, started on Mr. Show, which is yeah. uh, still one of the best sketch comedy shows, in my opinion. 
Agree. Strong. Um, um, yo, yeah, context. I mean, it, yeah. Look, okay. like, so to add to this, this is their first record that um, ever hit the Billboard charts. Which oh, yeah. And it hit the Billboard charts when that kind of meant a lot more than it does these days. For sure. So that's kind of amazing. Um, yeah. It, it seems as though this is the record that really put them on the map. And, you know, for the context being uh, in 1997, I was 15 turning 16. I don't think I was aware of them yet. But by 1998, 1999, I was getting more and more into music. They were, I like the word you've used. You've used it here a couple times, unavoidable. They were everywhere um, in New Jersey. If you were into underground music at all, you knew who this band was. However, my leanings meant I thought this band was uh, boring old person music, which at 16 <laughs> uh, sounds about right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'd be lying uh, if I said I didn't feel the same way at that age. Right, right, right. Um, but it's, you know, when I'm looking more and more about this, yeah, I have so many questions. Like, Yola Tango, they almost, they're not Pavement, and they're not Sonic Youth. Yeah. Definitively you think, not. I feel like they're really different monsters, all those bands. Oh, really different monsters. However, um, I would use at least both Sonic Youth and Pavement as as tent poles for this weird circus called indie rock. Um, yeah. And Yolo Tango might not be a tent post. They might not be, but they're pretty close. If they aren't, they they're all the folding chairs. You know what I mean? Like they definitely are a band who I feel like sonically laid a template um that i think was pretty popular but they never like they never got mainstream success no they didn't but how much can a band like this i guess reach mainstream success is that even possible you know, um, yeah, I mean, right. I agree. It's like what, like hum, like mainstream success is a hit single or two, right? Like you, you made it past the buzz bin into like regular rotation, alt rock radio fodder, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. Like if you hit the buzz bin, that scene is somewhat of a success. And, and for people who don't know, can you explain what the buzz bin is? Cause I'm making this funny reference and it sounds kind of silly, but I'm sure there's pe- people who are hearing that and laughing and going, yup. And there's somebody who's listening going, the hell is a buzz bin? Um, to be quite honest, I'm kind of blanking on what. Oh, the buzz bin is. wow. <laughs> okay. So the buzz bin is the I MTV know, buzz bin. MTV. So it was basically where MTV would put new artists when they would have music videos on it'd be the buzz bin. Right. And it was essentially like kind of that minor push that now in my head, some 20 plus years later, I'm like, Ooh, I wonder what the finances were to get your band as a buzz bin band, get your oh, video, sure. like what kind of placement. Right. Yeah. Um, but it essentially was like, Oh, if this new band from the quote unquote underground has a hit single or like, um, you know, a band from overseas, I, I'm pretty sure like, 
a couple Oasis singles, like off Definitely Maybe, started in the buzz bin. Like sure. new videos by artists who aren't established. Let's try to give them some some credo, and they would sometimes bounce, and sometimes they would flop. You know, I thought it was, it was like one like step that. above being featured on Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking Beavis and Butthead. I was thinking 120 minutes. I knew that it had something. Yep, it's to do in with. that. It's in that general range. Yeah, it's yeah. like hey. We don't know, you know, it, it, it predates TRL, uh, but it's like, we don't know if we're going to put you in regular rotation, but we're going to give you a chance. Can you make it? And some did, most didn't. And I don't, you know, it's like Yola Tango didn't quite make it into the Buzzman. Yeah. But at the same time, they're still playing good sized venues years and years and years after the fact right so like does it even matter it does i mean i wonder i have to bet there are plenty of one hit wonders who would give their left arm to have the career that yola tango has had yeah exactly Um, better than ezra are jealous you know oh oh my god they're they're dying for it um (laughs) um yeah, it, it would be a lot better living with you, Yola Tango, than better than Ezra. Um, so I, I have so many questions and thoughts about this band. Uh, let me throw out a true or false. Sure. If Yola Tango was going to have a song that hits the buzz bin, it would have been the song Autumn Sweater off this record. I agree. I think uh, I would go Autumn Sweater or Sugar Cube. I, I could go either way. Yes. But yeah. Autumn, uh, I really like the song Sugar Cube. The song Autumn Sweater that finds itself sort of like deep in the middle of this record. Uh, I was listening to it and it got the highest possible praise in my house, which is where my significant other said to me, she said, uh, oh, will you add this to uh, the playlist of songs I like on Spotify? <laughs> So, uh, so that's pretty high praise. I got to say, I, I, there's very few songs that make that pass that threshold. One of um, the, one of the things I read actually was like, I think some they were kind of poking fun, you know, kind of giving it the business, but it was like, you know, the, the, like the eponymous mixtape song, autumn sweater, you know, like it's just the <laughs> song that every, everybody put on their mixtape, you know, at that yeah. point. So that's, that's actually really funny. Yeah. I, I really really think that um okay let's we've given a lot of contacts i think yola tango uh, oh i want to get your feelings where do they fit in the indie rock um hierarchy you know how important are they from your purview do you think they're i don't think they're in that top 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 level but they're probably on the level level, who are you thinking of well, it depends, right? Like, do we, how far back do we go? Do we count the early REM material as indie rock? Yeah, good point. Right? Like, do we count Brit, 80s Brit pop in the indie rock? Because, like, it feels weird to say the Smiths aren't indie rock, but they're kind of not. Yeah. Even though every single indie person loves them, do we count? Do we bring in shoegaze material? Do we talk my bloody Valentine? Do we talk mid nineties Brit rock, Brit pop? Do we talk stone roses? Like where, where do we draw these lines? Yeah. So let's talk about it like this American indie rock of the nineties. 
Yeah. I mean, to your point, this, we could take this in any number of directions. I, honestly, I put them like Pantheon indie rock. Um, yeah, I think I, so too. They're like right up there, like top three to five, you know? I think so too. Especially if I clear out some of those other misnomers I just said, like, I can't, like, I'm not going to talk about U2 in the late 70s. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to talk about the REM murmur material, even though that's fantastic and lays the lays the groundwork for a lot of this stuff. And, yeah. you know, and quite honestly, probably lays the groundwork for a lot of this entire world. But if we, and we, I'm not going to talk about the Smiths or the Cure or the, the like. Stone Roses. Stone Roses or, 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 you know, uh, Joy Division or New Order or that kind of stuff like the, yeah. that, that kind of early late seventies kind of thing that also all that's like synonymous with alternative indie rock, new wave, all that stuff is, it's so hard to pull it all apart, but, but we're going to, and I certainly would include Yola Tango right at the top of the Pantheon. Yeah, definitely. I mean, first names that come to mind for me, like I think of the feelies, although I think that's, that's a little earlier. Like I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't even put them in like the indie rock category. Cause I think Agreed. that's more, more along the lines of like the REM, you know, era that we're talking about. Yep. So I think like Yola Tango guided by voices. Those are the first two that come to guided mind. Guided by voices for sure. Uh, drive by truckers. Drive by truckers. I wouldn't, not for me. No, no. Uh, let's see. Um, Sleater Kinney. I'd think about them, but I, I grouped them a little differently. Yeah, a little differently, but uh, I think pavement. Pavement for sure. No question to me. Um, Dinosaur Jr. I don't group in here, strangely enough, even though I like them more than any other band we've mentioned so far. Sure. I, I, yeah, I put them in a different category too. Neutral Milk Hotel? Uh, no, only because I don't like them at all. Oh, interesting. Like <laughs> them a bit. However, anyone who's talking about Neutral Milk Hotel post 2000, it, it, post 2005, I'd say, like they have a completely rewritten history. I don't think I ever heard anyone mention the name Neutral Milk Hotel until like 2008. Yeah, it's one of those things I think, I, it, I, I just, I think that's a record that hits for you if you hear it at a certain age and I did not Correct. hear it at that age. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I think just adding to that list, Bell and Sebastian. Bell and Sebastian for sure. The Pixies. Yeah. Oh, Pixies, sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think they Although I, they're, I they're might like, put them here. They're maybe a little I don't even they're know. Early. They're, like they're early. Yeah, I they're early. They're early. Yeah. Um But I mean I, I put Sonic Youth in there, even though like very little of Sonic Youth's super listenable to me and like Sonic Youth has moments where I'm like, I think I'd consider this more like noise rock than indie, but you know, they're right. inarguably like an indie band. Um, so anyways, I mean, I'm, I'm sad. We'll never get be able to talk about Sonic Youth because I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, that's, that's on our, we're, I told you we're going to do uh, road trips. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, we can certainly do some. Oh, uh, that's slint record. Okay. So, anyways, built to spill. There, there are, but I think Yola Tango belongs in this conversation. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There. I mean, like I mentioned before, I think if you are even like tangentially, you know, involved with or 
ever were involved with indie rock in any way had any cds you probably had a yola tango cd so i think they're definitely pantheon okay so uh another question before doing this i had no idea that there was a mission of burma yola tango connection i actually didn't know that myself tell me okay so so um when they formed the band ira and georgia uh, they and uh, this is straight from their history. Uh, place an advertisement to recruit other mi- musicians who shared their love for bands such as the Soft Boys, Mission of Burma, and Arthur Lee's Love. Fast forward, um, they released their first LP, Ride the Tiger, on Coyote Records, which I believe is self-released, and it was produced by former Mission of Burma bassist Clint Conley. Ah. who uh who ended up playing a few songs on the record so um really interesting to me i'm not a huge mission of burma guy but it was it started to to drop the blocks into place tetra style of like oh okay okay i start to see where what what this band was coming from like reference point wise you know yeah um i'd compare it sort of like when you get the note that's like, Hey, actually, um, the Goo Goo Dolls and Soul Asylum, those bands, when they started, loved bands like the replacements and Husker Du. And you go, Oh, duh. Now I hear it. Even though I never made that connection before. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, all right, let's, let's kind of continue forward here. We, we've put Yola Tango, um, in the pantheon of indie rock. And I think this is the record that does it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it definitely is. But I think it's it's interesting. Like indie rock's always been an interesting genre for me because, like, I don't really know what it means other than like, (laughs) like it's like guys trying to play rock and roll, but like it's maybe a little less produced, and they might be like taking in some further influences. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because it's uh, it's It's like most. Yes, it's like most genres when you get down to it. Um, alternative, what what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. So what? It's not it's not mainstream rock. Well, in 1992, mainstream rock became Nirvana and Pearl Jam and right. Soundgarden. So the alternative music took over the mainstream, and it's like, well, if alternative is is mainstream, then what is the alternative to alternative? Um, and yeah anyways it's 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 all these terms are right exactly vague when you like, pull and, it out and especially when you start thinking about like if we're talking about indie we're talking about independent we're talking about bands that exist outside of the mainstream but what happens when you know matador records and you know all of their signees are kind of ostensibly mainstream bands you know at least they're they're on mtv and they're well known enough so like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't mean anything to me. It's it's weird. But I think that Yola Tango um, are different from a lot of indie bands in the way that they they take a lot of different influences. I mean, there's like, there's definitely Krautrock influences on this. There's Electropop influences. There's like 60s, 70s psychedelic folk influences. There's Bossa Nova, you know, type beats and songs. Yeah. Um, they're really they definitely were listening to a lot more than like what was happening at the time. You know, um, I think whereas like 
pavement uh, to me i don't know to be quite honest i'm not a huge fan but to me like a lot of their albums sound like they're kind of going towards in the same direction yola tango are definitely a band that like they'll throw you for a loop here and there you know like they're not they're not operating on the same level that a lot of like quote unquote indie bands i think we're operating on yeah <clears throat> that is the only parallel i'll make to well, it's not the only one, but it's the biggest one I would make to Sonic Youth is that Yola Tango felt like and feels like, because I think they're still an active thing, entity. Very active, yeah. That their sound was evolving and actively avoiding being pinned down. Um, <clears throat> and I think, you know, in listening to some of the just sampling through the material. This record has like, I can hear the heart beating as one has the most kind of clean line fusion of all these weird things that they were dipping their toes into. And at the same time, the most pop sensibility, Mm -hmm. Um, it's the most tuneful. Yeah. At least in, you know, in kind of going through, I was like, wow, they really kind of honed in on this and don't get it twisted. I'm going to use the word drone and there's an entire genre of music called drone music. And that's not what I'm referencing, but the idea of droning where something's kind of repetitious and going over and over, um, especially you'll hear kind of electronic versions of that. I hear that on both the record before and after this one, if chronologically for Yola Tango, but it's tuned down a bit on this record in a way that makes some of the songs, even the more like noisier or more like the longer tracks are just a little bit more concise. Um, and it's sort of like, <clears throat> again, we'll go to like older heads. This is either when you're tuning the radio on a manual knob and you just get it to the right spot and you can, you really dialed it into the radio station. Uh, this is a phenomenon for, for the old only <sighs> where you wouldn't want anyone to touch that knob because even the slightest gust of air that dialed it out one sixty fourth of an inch, you lose the signal. Um, or like when you're watching scrambled porn on, on uh, <laughs> 90s TV that you got to get it to the right channel. <laughs> and and I, I think that, that's what this record is to me. They just, things got fused where, where this eclectic mix of influences, which I think they tout, they like were just the sum of all these parts came together in this way that, uh, genre defining feels a little grandiose, but I, I think for certain, this is the record for this band. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I don't think you'd find a lot of people that argue with you there. And if they, if they did argue with you, they're like super fans who, you know, have, have dove deeper than we'll ever deep. will ever dive, you know? So for sure, for sure. Um, um, yeah. I mean, it's w- listening to what you're saying. It actually, it makes me, and I thought about this before, but, like this record could have been a complete mess. Like it could have been total garbage. Yeah. You know, like, 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 dude, this is an, 
it's it's over an hour long it's crazy long yes. you know they have they're like definitive hits on here but then there's also like just a lot of really vibey songs yes there's a few, there are definitely more than a few songs that go over five minutes um i i'm I I really wonder, you know, if this came out now, if it would hit the same way. I definitely don't think it would because, you know, this kind of stuff has been done. I mean, they sent the template. Um, right. But I also don't think that people have the attention span for an album like this now, you know, frankly. Um, my only my only nod to that in thinking maybe the other is that this is a record that has peaks. Um, in so much as I think to me Sugar Cubes and Autumn Sweater are the most pop accessible and just like click catchy song both of them yeah the rest of the record vibes like a tempo you know you can put it on this is a cubicle record to me this is a working overtime at the office record to me. This is a I need to decompress in the car record to me. Mm-hmm. This is not a going on a run record. <laughs> this is not a working at the gym not. record. This is not a um, fixing my car record or mowing the lawn record. <laughs> yeah, but it could it could be a making dinner record. Um, uh, it, it just. Um, it's you know what more than making a dinner making dinner record it's a cleaning dishes record um there's sort of a a methodical groove to the record that it spikes up but then kind of brings you back down and keeps you moving yeah um i had the thought in my head none of this inspired like you said their live show is great what is the energy like for this band live it's just well, I mean, to preface what I'm about to say, like I thought of the record as either you're you're either listening to it super actively, like you're either totally tuned in or it's just background music and either one like works just as good. Yeah. Um, live, it's totally the former where like everybody is so tuned in. The band is tuned in. The audience is tuned in. It's super like you could hear a pin drop. Um, but the cool thing about them is like, at this point, they're one of those bands that... So James McNew, who was the bass player on this album, joined in 92. So mm-hmm. they've had the same lineup for 28 years now. Yes. So like, <laughs> I can't even imagine how many shows they've played together, let alone how many albums they've played. Um, those dudes, like, they play really, really well together. I'll just say that. Right. Um and, you know, it's one of those other things, too, where they have such a deep catalog that they'll, like, just dip into pockets. I don't even yeah. know if they write set lists. They, they kind of just, like, do whatever they're feeling at the time. But it feels really fluid, you know? I mean, it feels like yep. this album where it's, like, you know, maybe some of the transitions might feel kind of disjointed, but, like, that's just kind of part of the, the, the experience that you're going along for, you know? Um super tight they're having a great time i think it seems really obvious how fucking grateful they are that they're a band that's been able to do this for so long and you know without any sort of like artistic um you know like having to sacrifice anything artistically you know right 
it's 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 very cool i mean it's they're one of the bands that even if you're not a fan i would recommend seeing them it's just like it's a really fun engaging live show yeah so so that 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 makes sense to me because like the way you spoke about it um i think they probably have a really one deep and tight set list uh not not tight in the way that it's like tight formed out but they just the the players all know each other very well so they get in and they can play these songs and they can play them loose they can play them tight they can hit it exactly right or they can kind of jam it out and it's it's a fun fun experience the thing i was thinking about was in listening to this record and the records on either side of it and, and selections from their entire catalog was I was like, these are probably the songs that people get the most excited for. Like these are the like, ooh, high notes in a set perhaps, but they have such an expansive catalog that, that it's not, it's just, it's just a different kind of energy. And um, yeah, I just, it, it's kind of amazing to me. I, I think this record um, I, as I was kind of the point I was getting to is the idea that like, I think that in 2020 and beyond with the dearth of music that's out to listen to records that you can put on that just kind of take you and you can, you can just vibe to mm-hmm. matter like that shit, that shit counts. Like people want to be able to listen to a record that maybe it's in the background of what they're doing. Um, as we've learned from podcasts and, and on their on-demand entertainment um, is is outrageously popular because it's something you can do when you're doing something else. And uh, there's certain records that are 100% that. And there's a lot of records out there that are great but require you to either be paying attention or maybe just by their nature, maybe they're more aggressive, maybe they're fast, maybe they're just like too explosive. You can't just put them on and you know uh, do your... Uh, calculus work or work on a spreadsheet or build that PowerPoint presentation or, you know, continue to fill out your medical forms, but this record you can. And I don't want that to sound like a diss. I actually think it's incredible when you find those kind of records. For sure. I mean, it's one of the things I think about too is like, you know, I think about like early hip hop albums and like the way that they were sampling things, even like, yes, let's think of like tribe called quest. And like, that's not even that early. I know. No, but like, no, but I think you know, you're like, nailing but something, like, but what they're pulling from there. Like, I know that people at the time and even now, like are probably listening to those records being like, like, what is this sampled from? Like, this sounds awesome. You know, yes. like I was, when I was li- re-listening to this, I was thinking about like, you know, even the weird tracks like spec bebop, you know, it's like, like what were they listening to that actually led them to this? Like, and I, I, I have some hunches now that I've like dug deep enough in music over, over my years, you know, but yes, like, yeah. but at the same time, like if I heard that in the nineties, like, I don't know if I was a, if I was younger, I still have no idea, you know, maybe no, there's some wild shit that I'm still not privy to. That's probably the case. It seems like they go super deep, you know? So, so in my, in my deep diving, um, I read up a little bit about Ira Kaplan, the, um, I guess, nascent lead singer of the band mm-hmm. and guitar player. Um, and what it led me to was Ira K, um, his show on WFMU. Ira the K, 
uh, or the K as he's taken his name to be. <sighs> and uh, if you're not familiar, um, WFMU, a very popular uh, college radio, I guess still uh, web, uh, website, college radio station. Um, they have one of the most comprehensive libraries that I've ever come across. Uh, especially for some of their more notorious shows that have been on for a long time. Mm -hmm. But they also have these very extensive playlists detailing everything that he plays. So you can go and take a look at what Ira plays and it is all over the place. Um, You know, from uh, 80s new wave stuff to deep cut 70s rock to soul to funk to punk to you know like everything that you to uh more more recent hip-hop to 90s hip-hop um you know like for example let me let me give a quick read down on this one all right we have uh may 21st 2020 uh bozo chavis ohio express the davis sisters the box tops alex chilton isley brothers shop assistants barry biggs bo diddley Clyde and the Blue Jays, Ray Watts and the Questions, uh, Pete Best Combo, The Beatles, Doug Som, Sir Doug and the Texas Tornadoes, The Pretty Things, My Bloody Valentine, Cal J- Jader, uh, Os Selvigans, Angry Samoans, Nat King Cole, J.J. Jackson, Johnny Guitar Watson, The Animals, The Birds. You know, like, you're it's not going to find many people who are playing – you know, uh, Spencer Davis group and red man and the who all in the span of one show. Um, but yeah, Ira Kaplan is, um, so this is like one of those things I find fascinating and and we've kind of circled the wagon on this a little bit, but it's when you have clearly deep head music fans with the most eclectic of taste and they work on a long-term music project that feels both deeply personal, but also a little bit removed. And they occasionally just land at this perfect nexus where these weird influences all kind of a confluence really where they all come together. And I think that's what this record is like, who knows five years earlier or five years later, it might not land the same way because I don't, I, I quite honestly don't think their other records hit the same way as this. And, um, that said, this record inspired me to go, okay, no, this is a band. I really need to, to pull apart a little bit and look at some of their other records more deeply. Yeah. I mean, for me, like knowing my, knowing their catalog as well as I do, which is honestly not that well. Um, I know certain albums from, certain i think eras like they're just one of those bands that are well let me put it in this context i'm a huge guided by voices fan and people who you know if you're not familiar they're an indie band they're from dayton ohio um they started in the 80s they're actually really similar to yola tango in the way that they started a lot earlier than they were recognized you know so they had already been a band for over a decade by the time you know, they were, they were putting out records that people were actually buying and, you know, yes, going to yeah. their shows. Um, yes. they, were, they were more or less like a, 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 
a local Dayton bar band um, for most of their career up until the point that, you know, they signed to bigger labels and got recognized. And now, you know, they've been around for decades and put out basically two albums a year. And they have yes. one of the most intimidating catalogs probably of any band, but um, intimidating is the exact right word for their catalog. Yeah. So like, I think of Yula Tango in that way where like, listen, I'm a diehard guided by voices fan. Will I vouch for every album? No, I definitely won't, won't, you know, but like, <laughs> but the, the interesting part for me is like being along for the ride, you know, because like you can pick out certain songs on certain albums, even like weak albums. You might be like, you know, this album isn't super strong, but like it has these four tracks that are like, like some of my favorite tracks, you know, yeah. I have to think that, and again, I'm kind of talking out of school because I don't know Yola Tango's catalog like that, but I have to think that it's, it's along those lines because they put out a lot of material over, you know, like fairly quickly over the period of time that they've been around and certain yeah. albums, it seems like hit for people and certain albums don't, you know, certain albums are, are ignored They've definitely done like a lot of soundtrack stuff that I think, you know, people probably don't respond to as well. Um, but then, you know, they put out an album called Fade like six or seven years ago that that's one of my favorites that I've heard. And I know that like people responded really well to that album. So, yeah, I think they still kind of, um, you know, it's just a matter of like, are you along for the ride or not? You know, like that's the question. Um, and you don't have to be along for the, the whole ride. I think for some people that's kind of more exciting to like really like dive deep. I'm, I'm one of those people. I just haven't done that on Yola Tango. But, um, you know, I think that if you only heard one album from them, it might be this album. It might be, you know, nothing turned itself inside out. It might be fade and you're cool with that. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's you can you can you can dig in as little or as much as you want with this band, and I think that's kind of part of the appeal. See that that is exactly like as you were talking about Guided by Voices, and kind of thinking to myself like, what was my holdback on Yola Tango from really like really giving it the honest deep dive listen? Like, let me take a record, and I mean to be honest, part of this is time and space. Yeah. Uh, when I was younger and physical media was still something that I was listening to all the time. And that even dwells into the, the mid early two thousands till 2006, probably um, I would drive around and have a CD book in my car. So yeah, you know, like I worked at small record label, I worked at a distributor, I could get CDs for not much more than cost. So I would, if there was something I really wanted, I would get that. I'd listen to it in my vehicle because you're driving around. I was driving around all the time. And I'd be able to kind of spend the time I'd like to with record. And um, up until doing more music listening based stuff, it, it was a while. But that dearth, that intimidation factor of a band's catalog, Guided by Voices, is certainly an example of that. And I think Yola Tango as well, because I'm looking at it right now. I'm pretty sure they have 15 studio albums. Uh, that's a lot. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Fifteen albums. We've now completed the segment of the podcast where you listen to me count out loud. <laughs> but that's a lot. And so even 
in 2006, they had 10 records, 11 records out that was like, wait, where do I get in? And, um, and I think that's, that's a big factor. I think that's a, a hard point for, for bands across genres with, with large catalogs. And Hey, maybe that's a reason we're doing a podcast like this. So you can know where to jump on. Cause I, I think you're right. I, I think I'll say on record that, you know, you could try and then nothing turned itself inside out. I think that's got a couple songs. Um, I haven't dove into anything post that really, um, other than tracks here or there. As, as I mentioned to Pete before, their cover of Todd Rundgren uh, from around that same time as Fade is excellent. Um, I think you could listen to Painful and hear some stuff you might like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fake Book sounds like it might as well be a completely different band, but I, I really like that. Um, but yeah, like there's so much to go for. But this record, I feel like, is the nexus point of all these eclectic sounds. And, you know, you mentioned this, and I think I've circled it as well. I think with this record, you asked the question, what, what is indie rock even? I think this record, along with a couple others, helped set what the template was for a lot of bands and a lot of artists to go, oh, I'm going to do a band that's sort of like this and sort right. of sounds like this, you know? Yeah. I, I was thinking actually a lot about not to keep making the guided by voices comparison, but I was thinking about guided by voices when I was listening to this in the way that like, it sounds like, and actually Ira, um, in an interview I read, he said it was basically the first album that they were confident and not worrying about what the album sounded like. Like they were, they got together in a room, they wrote a bunch of tunes, they put it all together. They put it on an album. They were comfortable with that, you know? Um, Oh, do you think you can hear that on this record? I think I can. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It sounds like a really confident record, you know? It sounds super confident, but it also sounds... Uh, if there had been like a major label record producer in the room, he would have been like, guys, this is an eight-minute song. It can be two minutes, you know? like. Um, so I think it's it's super confident in the way that they just kind of let it be what it is. You know, I mean, the record is an hour and min- eight minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Let's, let's, let's turn the conversation there for at least a minute. Yeah. Uh, when you listen to this record, what, is there anything you would cut? Is it as, as our theme, maybe we should just ask the question, is this record too long? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> As this I, is one of those questions. It's the note you pass to someone uh, in middle school. You write it out. Like, will you go out with me? This is the note I passed to Pete. And it says, is this record too long? Yeah. Uh, one box says yes. The other box says yes. So. so I think, yeah. So I think I've stated on record, probably every album that we've covered so far, uh, this record's too long, but um, I won't actually say that. I think that, do I think that there's a better version of this album yeah, I think so. I think that you could cut it down a little bit. I think it could be more concise. And I think that I frankly would probably enjoy it more like in my day to day. So there's right. that. But then there's also like, is this album perfect for what it is? And is it perfect for like a Yola Tango fan? And by that, I mean, like, if there are people who are like willing to go along for the ride and want the more difficult version of things, yeah. Like this is perfect. You know, I mean, I think that this is just 
another chapter in the story of Yola Tango. And I think that, you know, it takes a lot of balls to put out an album like this, especially when, you know, like we mentioned, you know, they were at a point where it seems like this was the nineties. Anything was possible. You know, I mean, bands like this were getting recognized. Um, had they made a more commercial friendly record, like maybe things would have ended up differently. Um, but I don't think they ever wanted that. And I think that they were perfectly comfortable, you know, doing what they were doing as a band. So like for the story of Yola Tango, I don't think I would cut it. I think it's like, I think it's, it's fine. H- however Yola Tango wants it is how it should be basically, you know, <laughs> I will, um, I'll echo that. I won't say however long Yola Tango wants it should be because we have been less than charitable to some other band. So I won't do that, but right. But, but I, I agree with the sentiment and energy behind it exactly because some somewhat and so much of this album feels intentional. The length feels very on purpose. Um, the way it climaxes and where it climaxes feels like that was thought out. And it's not like it was some kind of like, this isn't sleep, you know, Jerusalem, dope smoker, where they wrote a 60 something minute song and charted it out on a wall. I don't think that. I think this was, you know, it, it rises when it does and it comes back and it's all in a flow a lot of the ways that I think when you listen to electronic music or more droney music, the structure and flow is in that rhythm and repetition and the, what they're doing in that churning. And I get that on this record more than a lot of other, you know, records that sonically you could make comparisons to, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I, for for once we're telling you, hey, this long record, keep it long, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I know that we're being uncharitable because we've mentioned, you yeah, know, and I, I think we've been uh, less, you know, friendly to other long records. But the thing for me is this: like, like Green Arrow, which is a song on this record, is yes, you know, I think it's my favorite track on the record. Oh wow! Okay. I could listen to an album of that song and songs like that, like forever. That's like, I'm, I'm super into the like hyper mellow vibe. Uh, it's really atmospheric. I, I love it. I could, I could go with that forever. So I say that like this record's okay because I think all of the songs are good. It's just that I think that, you know, if I was Ira Kaplan, which I'm not, you yeah. know, I would have I would have done it in a way that like the genres of songs are like pocketed into an album. You know, like you could have an album of Sugar Cubes, you could have an album of Green Arrows, you could have mm. an album of, you know, cover tracks. This mm. to me is like it's 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 almost like the perfect introduction because it gives you everything that Yola Tango has to offer in like one fell swoop. And then you can like go in and look at the other albums and kind of find like what, what Yola Tango is your favorite. If that makes sense. No, 
uh, really well said. I think it's exactly why I love this record so much um, because I am a bit more of a mixer. Uh, but I actually think your energy on it's dead on. This is the main concourse of a great museum, you know, where when you're in the main area, you get to see a sampling of what's in each wing. And if you like this one more, well, that's where you go first. Or if you just are interested in Egyptology, well, that you're going to go back to the rear corner over there and go down that wing. Um, but here you're getting the a sampling of everything. I, I think you kind of nailed it there. Um, and yeah, that's that's a well-put way to think about it. I, I think this... This record gives you a good overview of the band, a lot of the different things they do. Um, and you also mentioned, I want to go back to it, atmospheric. This record does have this atmospheric quality that's subtle. Um, that it, it, you know, I referenced Portishead just briefly on the last episode, but there's elements of Portishead on this record um, that, that make me go, oh, you know, kind of, and I don't know, this record might predate it it might be right alongside that the portisad lp um mm-hmm. but it's like oh it's just this electronic atmospheric vibe that's <clears throat> it's still saturated and, and like soaked in to the guitars and the fuzziness but it just it, it, it gives you a cool feeling you know um there's, yeah. there's, yeah. This, this, this record is very unique. I, I've come to appreciate it a lot and uh, found it to be a really cool listen. So, what were your, you know, talking about like different Yola tangos? What, what tracks were your favorite? What, what, what are your favorite Yola tangos? I guess. Oh yeah, my, this album. My Yola tangos. Did you know also that they were named after? Uh, it was a baseball reference. I didn't know that. No. Okay, so Yola tango is I got it. I guess. Yeah. Um, so it was from a New York Mets, like early sixties thing where I guess it's two outfielders. Maybe, uh, we're, and you know, I sound like Mr. Sportsball here. Uh, I'm actually a big <laughs> sports fan, but I didn't know this reference, but apparently two outfielders were going for a ball and the one was going, I got it. I got it. I got it. The other was a primary Spanish speaker who didn't know what he was saying. So they realized what, what they did was say, Oh, we'll just say Yola Tango. Like that's, you know, and that's where the band got their name. So shout out. Um, Autumn Sweater stands out to me. Um, Shadows, Deeper Into Movies. Deeper Into Movies might be my favorite song. Oh, cool. On this record. Yeah, I really love that song. And Sugar Cube's great. Uh, I think Stockholm Syndrome's good. Green Arrow's very good. Like, you and I are on the same page. That's that's the energy that I go for in this album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just feel like there's the, there's just this really there's a strong swing on this record. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I kind of can't say it. We we sort of stumbled onto a record that I think is in the same way as we talked about that in ten years people are going to be talking about the SZA Control record as an important record that came out this decade um, to 2010 to 2020. I think this Yola Tango record is one of the most important records of the nineties. Um, yeah. And it may be important. not the right word because I don't know, but it seems low key still like it doesn't, this is not a record I see a lot of people talk about or, or bring up now. I'm not necessarily looking all, everywhere for it, but, but it's certainly 
is like a big record. I mean, they're one of those bands that I think like, and again, I, I hate to keep drawing the God of my voices comparison, but like they're one of those bands that I think if you're still hyperactive as a band, um, people aren't going to kind of reference you as influences as much, you know? So like mm-hmm. Yola Tango and God by Voices still very, very, very active bands. So as a result, I think, you know, um, even if the influence might be obvious on like a newer band, they're not going to kind of talk about it that way because it, it, it feels like you're talking about like a peer, you know, it, it yes. feels like you're talking about one of your contemporaries. Well, um, and, and giving placement to something that is still active, you know, you don't very rarely do you put, um, you know, you don't put active players in the hall of fame. Let's, right. let's put it that way. You know, it's like you don't memorialize someone before they're done with their career. And so that might be part of it. But music's such a funny thing because albums can be looked back on. And, you know, looking through it looks like, you know, Spin put it on their greatest albums in the 90s, Pitchfork, Rolling Stone, Pays, all these all these public publications note it. So it's, it's noted. But I think just in the cognitive conversation, this record might not get the love it deserves. So uh, if you disagree, hit us up because um, I just think it, it, could deser- it deserves a little more love. Yeah, yeah. No, I think so too. I think it's one of those things like they're one of those bands that, you know, I know, you know, they do like a Hanukkah showcase every year. Um, I think they've been doing it at the Bowery Ballroom in New York yeah. um, the last couple of years. But Love it's that. like eight nights in a row. They sell it out immediately. You know, like people are psyched. They play all kinds of deep cuts. I think there's probably a different set list every night. Like yeah. they're definitely still a band that's appreciated. But I think it's one of those things where like when they're gone, I, I, I think that uh, people like people don't realize how cool it is that Yola Tango are still playing now as actively as they are. I think once they're gone, people are going to, you know, the people who like had numerous chances to, have, to, to see them or, you know, listen to their records, like their newer records kind of more actively as it was happening. I think they're going to regret like not, you know, being more involved because they're definitely pushing just as hard as they ever were, you know, right now. So, yeah. Impressive, impressive career. Um, inspiring me to, uh, to check it out. Where would you say you, you said, what's the record fade is the record you, you like from 2013. Yeah, fade, I, think, I think it was from 2013. Um, great record start to finish. Um, uh, not as long as this, which maybe is one of the appeals, but I think it, it offers, uh, <laughs> it offers like, definitely like that a similar range to this album um but um more concise um i really like it i still play it you know fairly regularly and and i would say just in my my journeys i enjoyed fake book which is mostly covers um i think all covers uh no there's five originals good um it's a fun listen it's it's a real different listen than this record it just it almost doesn't feel like the same band uh, but it's it's mostly acoustic, fun, smooth listen. Some songs you know, a lot of songs you don't. And it's sort of like when you listen to it, you go, ah, you are an eclectic batch. I see. Right. Um, so, so check those records out. Um, anything else on this one before we, uh, we call it an evening? So two quick questions. Yes. So um, 
I think if anyone were to have an issue with this album, um, a specific track, I have to imagine it would be Spec Bebop. Mm. So it's like a 10 minute kraut rock jam. Yep. Um, kraut rock, if you're not familiar, uh, you know, like German experimental rock music from the 70s primarily. Um, no vocals, nope. really spacey, um, you know, interesting music. I, I recommend it if you want to go deep, but it sounds to me like they were trying to do that on this track. Um, should that be on the record or not? Like, does it contribute to it for you? Yes. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, easy answer. Kind of <clears throat> circling back to that, pulling in elements of electronic music, a little bit atmospheric. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily ascribe atmospheric to Krautrock, mm-hmm. but I think that the length of this song, kind of the, the movement of it, it helps. Um, I would not move it up in the order of the record, but as you get towards the back end of the record, that's it's it's a really cool song. It's not at the very end of it, but it, it kind of hits at a cool point um, in the flow. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it. I wouldn't take it off. I think that I would leave the album as is. It's one of those tracks that I, I do think it's really challenging, but I think it's challenging in a good way. Like, I think that if you if you end up on the other side of it and you're you're cool with it, like you're you're along for the ride, you know, and like you kind of found your band. Um, yeah. And I yeah. Think that, that's kind of rewarding, you know. I agree that might this might be a threshold test. So do not listen to Spec Bebop first. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But don't. if you like the record up to this point, consider it the uh, the final trial. The like, okay, yeah. are you in? It, Here we the, go. The final endurance test. Yes. Um, and if 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 you're a fan and you're not familiar with Velvet Underground or Can, I think you should go in. Um, yes. Last question: Can a band? that has had Yola Tango's career trajectory at this point kind of come up in 2020. Like, is this even possible anymore? Like a band 13 years into their career that has a record like this and who is like basically not sacrificed any of their, you know, creative impulses at all. Um, this is a fantastic question. Uh, because I'm pretty sure, let me look. I think this is like their, this is their eighth studio album. And moreover, let's call it by their words, because they, they say, oh, you know, up till 1990 or so, we were kind of just dicking around. Um, <laughs> That's basically what they say. Yeah, so. it really is. Uh, but let's start, this would be their fifth album of the 90s, you know, where they started saying, hey, we started taking stuff more seriously by 91, 92. Right. Can this happen? Yes. Is it likely? No. That said, there's a lot of different factors. Um, you're right. It takes that kind of resolve to stick it out. But what I'm going to say is that it also takes the magic pixie dust that kind of happened on this record, right? Like we, we mentioned it, we said it again and again. This record pulls everything together, holds it together long enough to make something magic. And, you know, it's up to you if it keeps that same energy moving forward. I I didn't think that the record after this um, 
and then nothing turns itself inside out has the same tunefulness that really pulled me in on certain points of this record. It still has some of that kind of atmospheric stuff, a little bit of electronic play, a little more emphasis on that, but it just didn't feel as warm to me as this record. It also has a 20 minute song. Right. That's <laughs> yeah, that, That's uh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, that's, that's the uh, sequel to spec Bob. Right. Uh, Bob. Um, so the question is, can it happen? Yes. Will it happen? I'm not sure. I do see artists who uh, nascently kind of like have not been not been failing. They've been doing fine, but haven't hit their breakout point and who creatively, sonically, when you hear it, you go, huh, I don't think you've hit it yet. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and it's also interesting, like, <laughs> uh, so I have a question for you. I'm going to pitch this one back and then I have one last one for you. Cool. Yeah. So what do you think? Do you think that this could happen in 2020? Um, no, I, I don't really. Um, I think that um, I said that so definitively. I think it, I think it could, but I think that it just it really depends on like it would be one in a million. Um, I think that like basically every band at this point is operating along the lines of like what Yola Tango were doing. It's kind of like under the radar, um, you know, putting out their their own music for a long period of time, possibly getting recognized. Um, it doesn't feel to me that this is possible now um, just because they've been able to do exactly what they wanted for such a long period of time. But at the same time, like, I don't know, you know, I mean, if, if people buy music off of Bandcamp the way that they're, you know, contributing to Patreon and things like that, like yeah. maybe they will, and maybe that's the future of music. And like, that will allow for bands like this to like really stretch their legs and like, you know, grow as musicians and as artists. Um, and I think that's cool. Like basically, cool. I, right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like I hope that it's possible. I just, um, I'm not sure, you know? No, I think where I'm going with this final question is essentially tied to the question and your answer specifically. Do you think it's possible that a band's eighth album out of 15 will again at some point be like, yep, that's the one. Yeah. I mean, that's that, crazy to me. That, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's the one that I don't, I don't think it's as, as likely. I mean, well, it, except for the fact of what you pointed out in the band camp, uh, digital focus kind of era, things could be different. I think about the artist, Alex G, mm-hmm. um, who, released by the time i was even aware of him uh aware of them they they had released five or six albums i was like oh, holy shit um there's a lot of lo-fi or smaller artists that are able to do stuff and they start building this following that becomes quite homegrown you know um and it might i'm not saying we're ever going to see another guide by voices or another yola tango 
in the form that they were. However, I think we're going to see a little bit of a spike in this style where artists are able to be a little bit more prolific, Mm -hmm. release more music, have it come out because the, the boundaries of a release aren't there in the way that they were 20 years ago, even 10 years ago necessarily. Um, it's just about how will we, how will they be consumed and to what level and to what numbers and will the, you know, what are the lines of sustainability for that artist? You know, like if you're just recording music in 2020, you might not need to go to a big studio. You can do it pretty home-based. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, if we don't sell a bunch, that doesn't matter that much. (laughs) And and if we don't want to tour, we just don't tour. Uh, it's, It's really interesting. But then it's like, do they get popular? Will a band ever be able to hit the heights that guided by voices or Yola Tango hit with this Mm -hmm. kind of model. That's, that's the big question to me. Yeah. I mean, I I think that this, I think definitively this kind of model is done. Like that's not happening again, where you have like an album come out, you have like a promo circuit, you have like a tour based around that, you know, album coming out. I think that what's happening more now which is, you know, somewhat similar, but definitely different enough. Like you have like a snail mail, you know, where like mm-hmm. there's the Bandcamp demos and there's the Bandcamp album and then there's the Matador album. And like, that's the hit, you know, or I think, you know, on the other side, you have bands that put out, like you said, Alex G, six albums on Bandcamp. And then all of a sudden something hits, whether that's an album or a song or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, But like something hits enough for uh, something hits enough to bring recognition to those, like all of their catalog previous to that, you know? Yeah. Including anything they put, put out, you know, currently. So I think that it can happen in any number of different ways. I don't, I don't see the time like, the time li- like Yola Tango being around for over a decade, you know, when this came out, that to me is more challenging. I think it takes like, and, and that is really just a matter of like people need to make money to live their lives and move on. You know, I think yeah. that Yola yeah. Tango were making enough money that they could continue just being a full-time band um, in the nineties. I don't think that that's something that can happen now, but what I do think is something that can happen now is like maybe dude has a day job and he's just recording music after work. And you know, one day, like it might be on his sixth album. Yeah. It, it clicks. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. So like, I, I think that it can, it can be similar, but I don't think it's going to be the same. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's fascinating to me. I, I agree. It's not going to be the same. It's just, you know, so, so I used the example of Alex G. I wanted to check myself to make sure I was not saying crazy bullshit here. Um, <laughs> so he releases race January 1st, 2010 winners in 2011. This is the first ones on gold sounds. It seems like a small, if not self-release, but winner self-released full length, Rules, self-released full-length in 2012. Trick, self-released full-length in 2012. DSU, released on Orchid Tapes, but small label. Beach Music's released on Domino, 
Uh, so that's starting to get to the big thing. Yeah. Um, hits Billboard Heat Seeker in 2015. So that's one, two, three, four, five albums. And I had heard of them by then. But then right. Rocket is 2017. Again, hits Heat Seeker. House of Sugar, Heat's, Heat, it's like number five on Heat Seeker, Billboard chart. Um, 16 on the US indie chart. So uh, he's got a live at Third Man, and he's got a few EPs in there too, and a ton of little singles. So I am fascinated with the idea of prolific artists, but yeah, it's not going to, it's going to be few and far between that we see kind of. Um, with the reach and success of a band like Yola Tango. So, right. Yeah, definitely. Well, awesome. Um, I think we're going to do another, uh, secret (laughs) next week. I don't, we haven't, which is, which is, uh, behind the curtain conversation for, we haven't figured it out yet, but we've got a couple, so we'll figure it out. (laughs) So hit us up in the DMs. Let us know what's up. Yeah, uh, slide, uh, slide. Here. Yeah, okay. slide in. Um, uh, we're we're actually you know really curious to hear your thoughts. We've been loving the emails that we've been getting. Um, so keep them coming. Thank you. Um, you can email us at it came from njpod at gmail.com. on social media. Pete, where are we at? We are at uh, at it came from njpod um, on Instagram. Facebook, and Twitter. Awesome. Talk to you soon.